The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about what's moving the markets. My guest is Barron's Senior Writer, Al Root, filling in for Ben Levison, who's on vacation. Al, you're probably Barron's most prolific writer, if I had to count bylines. So I want to thank you for taking some time to join us on Barron's Live today. Thanks. Ben's gone, so I don't have any real work to do this week. <laughs> not much. Not much. No, I, I kid. He's my boss, but he's a good boss. <laughs> good to know. Anyway, let's start with the stock market. It was throwing itself quite a party this morning over President Biden's decision to nominate Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell for a second term. And Powell is dovish from a policy perspective. Some might even say he's been too dovish, considering mm-hmm. the recent surge in inflation. But he seems to have a plan for weaning America from the enormous monetary stimulus unleashed during the pandemic. The Dow is still up. The S&P is still up. The Nasdaq has turned around and it's in the red now. What does all this mean and what's your take on the Powell nomination? Well, that's a good question, right? Like, you know, early in the day, I think my take was, well, the market is happy to see uh, Chairman Powell uh, renominated. You know, that means no volatility in policy. It means perhaps a steady hand at the tiller uh, of the uh, ship of the American economy. That's probably not a great metaphor, but hey. And uh, but now, you know, the Nasdaq has turned around. It's in the red. The other two indexes are up. So that also means that the market, after thinking about it for a while, says to themselves, well, you know, Chairman Powell says that interest rates are going up in 2022. He's still at the helm. Therefore, interest rates are probably going up in in 2022. So, you know, at the margin, that's bad for growth stocks. You know, growth stocks are more um, heavily weighted to the NASDAQ index than the other ones, right? You know, the, the Dow, I think, is still up, you know, most of the three. You know, rising interest rates at the margin is uh, least significant for the Dow index. So, you know, I think it means that uh, the market believes that, you know, Powell's steady hand will handle inflation. Uh, I think that's a good thing. So, you know, all overall, you know, we haven't had a wild move today. Things started in, in the green. And then, uh, you know, as people sat down and ate their lunch, they started saying, well, you know what, that does probably mean rates are going up. So we better take some money out of tech. That, that's my take on it. You know, overall, it's a good thing. It, it, people love, people hate, hate volatility almost anywhere in the market, right? People Stock hate market change volatility. and uncertainty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we'd have no change. So that's good. Right, for sure. What's your take on the market generally? Does it look richly priced to you? Does it look to be in a bubble? Does it look reasonably priced? Oh, that's an excellent question. You know, I think maybe when the history of this era is written, and I don't think you expected this answer, you know, we have a lot of little bubbles, um, but maybe nothing that was big enough to derail the entire economy, right? We had a tech bubble in 99 through 01. You know, we had a housing bubble. Those were huge, you know, led the entire economy into recession. You know, you can debate exactly what happened. 
you know, maybe now NFTs are in a bubble, maybe crypto's in a bubble, maybe my beloved electric vehicle stocks are bubble-like. We'll get um, to those. Yeah, but overall, you know, the market's trading at 21 times, 2022 estimated earnings. That's expensive historically. You know, it's not super expensive given where interest rates are. Um, so it's definitely expensive, uh, you know, but when, you know, Ben and I chat about this, you know, we are sort of on the trader side, you know, I worry less about valuation and more about uh, whether things are getting better. And economy is still pretty good. I think Q3 earnings was uh, turned out much better than people expected. We were all worried about inflation and supply chain shortages and companies did pretty well. So when I look at all that, I say, okay, it makes sense that the market's going up. So we call it a sudsy market. Lots of little bubbles, not a big sudsy. bubble. I like that. Somebody should write that. That's good. Okay. I'm assigning it to you. Okay. <laughs> so let's take a look at some of the companies left to report earnings. So far, 475 out of 500 companies in the S&P 500 have released their quarterly results. We got a couple of big names ahead this week. Give us the big picture, how earnings turned out, and then we'll go into some of the names. Well, like you said, coming into Monday morning, 475 out of 500, um, 82% beat analyst estimates. Companies always beat, but 82% is pretty good. Uh, you know, in second quarter, 87% of companies in the S&P 500 beat estimates. It's very healthy. Uh, just, you know, that sounds like it's wildly optimistic. Remember, you know, people expect beats. So the average reaction in the S&P 500 to earnings this uh, this quarter is the stocks are going up 0.1% uh, the day they report earnings. So not, you know, it's, it's generally positive. People are pretty happy with how it turned out. I think that uh, I would characterize it as people's worst fears, you know, maybe seeing profit margins erode because of inflation uh, did not happen. So that's good. What's so none of up? this smacks yeah, of exuberance, of excess exuberance. Yeah, but that's sort of always what happens with earnings. At least this is my two cents, right? You know, earnings, everybody expects a beat. Three quarters of companies always beat. You know, stocks go up or down on average, you know, you know, two tenths of a percent. There's always huge outliers because somebody surprises or somebody, you know, just has a terrible quarter. But, you know, um, it's funny when you when you step back and look at it like that, Lauren, it's like, you know, the average reaction, you know, is rarely greater than, you know, 40 or 50 base, uh, 0.4 or 0.5% for any given quarter. So it really feels pretty typical. Yeah, it, none of it's surprising. It's not wildly bullish. I think it's it's pretty good. I give it a uh, B plus grade. Okay, we'll take it. So Zoom video communications will be reporting tonight. This was the quintessential pandemic play. We all learned to live on Zoom when we couldn't get together in person. The pandemic is um, its certainly not gone, but people are out and about again. What does this mean for Zoom? What do you expect to hear on the earnings front? It's sort of a wild year, right? Um, certainly, I believe Eric and uh, our tech colleagues will have this covered really well tomorrow night or, or tonight going into Tuesday morning. Yes. So people expect a buck 10 a share from about a billion in sales. Uh, they, they beat Q2 earnings, but they guided Q3 earnings to be down sequentially and the stock got crushed. So back in August or whenever they reported, they said, oh, you know, we made a buck 30, but oh, by the way, we're only going to make a buck 10 this quarter. You know, the stock's down 25% year to date. It goes in this bucket of Peloton and Zoom and all of these things that were like pandemic essentials that, that had incredible 2020s that people don't know what to do with anymore. 
it's uh, kind of like the opposite of the uh, travel coin, right? Uh, you know, Hertz and Avis are doing tremendous this year and Zoom Communications is not. What do I, I, I have no, so it's funny. I think honestly, and I think it's important to say this occasionally, I do not know what they're going to do tonight, like what the stock <laughs> reaction is going to be. I That's think probably the most should, honest thing ever said about markets. I think you should expect volatility, right? Because they usually guide one quarter ahead. So they'll guide for Q4. And, you know, if that's better than estimates, great. And if it's not better than estimates, you know, are they going to beat? Are they being conservative? What are people like? Are people thinking that, oh, you know, Zoom is part of our life forever now and the pandemic's not quite over yet. So maybe they'll bid it up. I mean, the stock's given up 25% of its value this year. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? Good, fun to watch, though. Oh, it will. We'll be tuning in tonight. So we'll get a bunch of retail reports this week. We're going to hear from Dollar Tree mm -hmm. on Tuesday morning. This is a dollar store retailer. The company has an activist investor involved. What's the outlook there? Yeah, I think for a tiny bit of added context, it always feels like retailers are last in the earnings cycle. So mostly well, they are. Dealing... They are because oh. their fiscal year tends to end in at the end of January. See, I actually I had no idea. I spend all of my time with industrials. And I did not know that. But right, exactly. I, I, I grew up as a retail reporter. Yeah, see, there you go. And and so we get all these retail earnings like Dollar Tree. There's been an interesting pattern. They've all done tremendously well, right? And we had a cover story and, you know, the mall stocks that are still, that still can work and all this sort of stuff. Pandemic is, is waning. People are back. People have money to spend. So here's the pattern. All these stocks have done pretty well this year, like the ones we have coming up, like Urban Outfitters, American Eagle, Dollar Tree. Um, the stocks are up, you know, looking here, you know, 41%, uh, 34%, uh, 25% year to date, respectively. They all dropped after Q2 earnings because, again, but that was more like sell on good news, right? They all beat, stocks go down, and then eventually, you know, they continue their march higher as um, people still have money to spend. So Dollar Tree, I think, is one of the bigger retailers reporting this week. Quarterly sales expectations are $6.4 billion. Same sort of thing. They'll need to, you know, beat 95 cents. That's the bottom line estimate. They need to beat. They need to guide. They usually guide a quarter ahead. And then we'll see if the uh, stock can continue um, its march higher. Of course, that, that one will also matter, you know, what they say about working with activists and things like that. For sure. What about the other retailers reporting? Any, I, anything stand out to you? Um, I think the biggest, most interesting one is Burlington stores, right? That's one of the discounters, TJ Maxx, mm -hmm. Burlington, Ross stores. They've actually struggled. Those those guys have struggled because they sort of rely on excess supply, right? You know, they, they go and take everybody's excess inventory, and they mark it down and they retail it uh, for people looking for deals. The problem this year is nobody's had any excess inventory um so what they used to be like rock solid uh, performers the stocks have struggled year to date i believe burlington is about flat year to date so we'll have to see what they say about you know supply chain issues you know port capacity inventory levels at macy's and things like that what i think investors want to see with that one is sort of a return to normal right um, that'd be good for everybody, but, you know, a return to normal in terms of their ability to get product, mark it down and then sell it on. So that's, I think that's the most interesting one. It's not the biggest retail in the world. They'll do 2.2 billion in sales this quarter, but I think it's a fascinating story. People thought these stores like TJ Maxx, like Burlington would do very well when shoppers returned 
in person to stores because these companies really depend on the in-store experience. And yet, mm -hmm. as things turned out, traditional retailers have done very well, leading to less inventory for the off-price merchants, as you point out. Yeah. Retail is always very, seems predictable, but it always confuses in the end. I had a great, um, I had a good friend. He's still a good friend. Um, I don't talk to him as much as I used to. He covered um, packaged foods. And he always said to me that everybody assumes that packaged foods is just so easy. Everybody can do it. Oh, it's, it's, it's cereal, whatever. Or retailers. Oh, it's so easy. Just, you know, count the number of people that's going into stores. It just never works out that way. It's never. always way more difficult than you think. So let's talk about deer, which is reporting Friday. It's kind of strange timing, if you ask me, since most people will be sleeping off the impact of Thanksgiving. What is the company going to say? Yeah, and my I, I, my best recollection is they always do this, and they they also have sort of a funky year end that is tied to the um, the crop cycle as opposed to the fiscal year end. So there's Makes nothing no, there's nothing nefarious about. Actually, if you think about it, they're farming equipment, so it makes perfect sense. I never even thought of this. It's perfect sense that they report earnings after Thanksgiving <laughs> when we sell when we celebrate the bounty. Um, it's been a good year for them because uh, crop prices are up. Um, and the amount of money that farmers are making is directly proportional to the amount of money that they can spend uh, on farm equipment. So um, the one good thing about uh, this is their fiscal fourth quarter. The one good thing about John Deere is we will all get their outlook in 2022 for the first time. So we will hear a 2022 outlook again, that will be heavily dependent on the farming economy, but you know, a third to 50% of, of Deere's earnings are about construction, construction equipment as well. Uh, so that's worth tuning into in terms of what they will say about how 2022 shaping up. Now, what they will say about 2022 shaping up, frankly, anybody's guess, um, things have been good, right? Nobody has really, you know, demand for equipment at a Caterpillar Deer has been, has been rock solid, but we'll get an early look into how they see uh, their next fiscal year coming up uh, on Friday, which will be fun after football. Good. <laughs> that seems like something worth waiting for. Mm -hmm. So next, Al, I want to go on to the subject you cover better, certainly more than, and I would say better than anyone else, and that's Tesla. The stock is up 4% today. It's up 60% plus for the year. It's had a big year on many fronts. Today you reported, or recently you reported, that the company's Model S Plaid, a high-performance luxury electric vehicle, would probably be available in China sometime around next March. So as you look back on your coverage of Tesla in 2021, what do you think the high points were for the company? For Tesla, I think a couple of things. First of all, it's very kind. It reminds me why I like coming on these and talking with you. Um, the, uh, you know, the high points, so the Model S, right, it's up 4% today. It's it's a bit of a strange reaction to just having the Model S in China, but it sort of sums up what you have to deal with when you're dealing with Tesla, right? The, the, the strength of the reaction and what exactly is going on sometimes can be difficult to divine because the Model S is a very low volume vehicle. Selling it in more geographies is great, but it's still... Uh, uh, you know, they, they will sell tens of thousands of these compared with hundreds of thousands of, say, Model Y crossover vehicles. So, uh, you know, what, it's interesting. What was the low point of this year covering Tesla for people who watch closely? I think the dancing uh, bot at Tesla's AI day when they dressed up a human as the Tesla bot and had it dance on stage. I think that was I'm the glad most, I missed that. I think that was the most disappointing event of Tesla's year. 
Um, now, of course, you know, that will probably generate questions and emails calling it disappointing. I think the high point really is uh, some of the news around them starting up uh, the their new facilities in Austin and Germany. Uh, and let's go to the German one. It's It's insane. And that's my technical term for it. Elon Musk is going, they're going to make cars in Germany like Hot Wheels makes Hot Wheels. They're going to die cast the frame, which basically take molten aluminum and squeeze it into the shape of the frame. This is not the way cars are built. It's less parts, potentially cheaper. So um, will it work? Probably, hopefully. Uh, I have no, I, I can't technically comment on, on the smoothness of their giant die casting operation. But it's just an example of the kinds of things that make Tesla a little unique and make it almost religion for Tesla bulls, uh, even though Tesla bears don't get the valuation. So, you know, it's time to give thanks. I give thanks for Elon Musk and the content that he constantly delivers to Barron's. Um, uh, I, I didn't like the bot, but, but, but watching that German facility in 2022 will be a big deal for investors. Well, you anticipated my next question. What do you think the key points will be next year? So that'll definitely they, be one to watch. Yeah. So their goal, like always, right? It's people, I, I, I've taken a saying there's Tesla, the company, Tesla, the stock. So Tesla, the company. And Musk, the, the something. And, and Musk, right, exactly. Um, you, you have to say that the company has executed well. They're growing volumes at 50%. They'll deliver about 900,000 cars this year. Right now, the estimates for 2020 two or about 1.4 million cars. So that's a good number for people to keep in mind. They deliver more than 1.4 million. Very good year. If they struggle to bring this capacity online and they deliver less than 1.4 million, maybe the stock goes down. Now, that's not me warranting, worry, warranting, you know, Tesla being worth a trillion or a trillion plus. That's that's a debate that actually, you know, we've never really picked or pan Tesla. It's a difficult stock to try and Yeah, I was gonna ask, what do you what do you make of the stock at this level? It was eleven fifty-eight this morning or one thousand one hundred fifty-eight. Uh, here's what I have said in print and to Ben, and we've done in the trader column. I have said I would never I would be market so there's there's two problems, right? Everybody owns uh, you know two percent of Tesla if they have the S P five hundred. Uh, spider because you know that's uh, tesla's weight that's the 500 way. Right. i would never be underweight tesla i don't think it makes sense why would you be underweight tesla you may not be able to understand the valuation but like the idea of, of shorting it and saying well this is stupid you know i i, I think that you uh, are ignoring some things about electric vehicle penetration growth some success that tesla has some of the pioneering technologies probably because you don't like elon so that's what I think about the stock. I would definitely not be underweighted. The problem with Tesla is, you know, sometimes I think when you're when you're recommending a stock, you're sort of assuming that somebody takes like 50% of their net worth and, and sticks it in Tesla and says, okay, this is going to make me rich. That's not really investing, as I'm sure you would agree or maybe add on to. I definitely agree. But, you know, um, uh, I certainly wouldn't put 50% of my net worth in Tesla. I just can't do it. It's it's not in me to, to buy something at 125 times earnings even considering some of the successes they've had. So that's really how I feel about the stock. I mean, I if you I also like to point out that it's a little unique in terms of Wall Street ratings. Everybody you're either sort of like sell rated and believe the stock's going to drop 75% or you're buy rated and believe the stock is worth 1.4 trillion. There's sort of no middle ground, right? 
So I, I sort of wrap that all up in my opinion and say, you know what, do not short it. Just stay market weight. And, you know, if you say like I'm a super bull, you know, double your market weight in Tesla. And if you're a super bear, cut it in half, but definitely don't sell it all. That, that's sort of how I answer that question. That's a measured response. So let's look at Rivian. This is another electric vehicle company. It went public at 78 a share on November 10th. The stock shot up to 179. Now it's back to 112. How should investors look at that? That that was an insane sort of lift. Oh, it was. It's interesting, right? Um, I won't, I'll try not to be too philosophical. About my measured response, I do like to point out I'm Canadian, which you know I'm very proud of. So I feel like. Wait, I, we can't hear you there. I'm sorry. Oh, I sorry. I said I'd like to point out I'm Canadian. I feel like it's in my bones to give measured responses. <laughs> um, so Rivian. So the funny thing is, so we wrote uh, as a follow in the paper, right? Uh, uh, you know that Rivian at its original IPO valuation, which was going to be about sixty billion dollars, you know, was reasonable. You know, we were taking a stake and saying, look, growth stocks can work. Well, it promptly basically doubled. Uh, plus from that point, and at what point last week, Rivian was worth on fully diluted basis, $170 billion, about Ford and General Motors combined. So, you know, we said, okay, I can understand 60 billion. And that was based on where Tesla trades and, you know, their opportunity in trucks and things like that. And, you know, it's very, it's very expensive for a company that has essentially no sales, but we could get there. You know, last week when you get to 170 billion, I mean, I can't get there. That just, it doesn't make any sense to me. And now the stock has essentially given up all of its gains. So of course the IPO is at 78 bucks, but nobody, get, very few investors get the $78 price, right? That's the institutional investors. It opened for trading at 106 and change. So at one point today, it had basically given up all of the post IPO gains. So it had this incredible run up and then it's all the way back to like $110 a share. For me, I still think that it would be a much better bet below 100 around its IPO price. Then you could be really bullish and say, okay, maybe it's the next Tesla. You know, for context, they're probably going to deliver 55,000 trucks in 2023. So 55,000 trucks in 2023. Good number to keep in mind. If they do more than that, the stock probably works. If they do less than that, the stock probably doesn't work. But we're talking about not 2022, we're talking about 2023. So there's a long way to go to call it the next Tesla. Uh, but we get excited. Market participants get excited and uh, gains build on gains. So it, yeah, it hit it hit like 170 bucks last week. It was it was quite a quite 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 something quite to watch. Well, I'm going to say that's another bubble adding to the pile of suds. Yeah. So let's talk yeah. about Ford and GM for a moment. You had a terrific cover story recently looking at their investments in electric vehicles. And when people think about Tesla owning the market, perhaps they're ignoring the power of Ford and GM to really invest in this area and possibly emerge as leaders themselves. For those who missed the story, give us your thesis, please. So there's a couple of things, right? One is, and again, it, there's a couple of things. Tesla can't be 100% of the EV market. Actually, I should probably start. Electric vehicles, the batteries have gotten to the point where EVs are uh, as profitable and can be priced attractively as any other car. Uh, I've driven 11 electric vehicles. They're very good. They're very nice vehicles now. They're very nice vehicles. I would, you know, 
you know, by assist declared, most of the electric vehicles I've driven in are much nicer than any car I've ever owned. Uh, and we can detail that. So EVs have become a disruptive technology outside of even any government subsidies. Uh, okay. So if you believe that, that's part one. Part two is, so Tesla has about 60% market share in the US today, but they can't do that forever. Even Tesla doesn't say Tesla can do that forever. So then you have to say, all right, uh, who, if, if EVs are, are real, who's, who's, who are the next winners? You know, we focused on sort of General Motors, Ford and Volkswagen because they're the most aggressive uh, in sort of embracing this trend and saying, you know what, this is something we really need to do. Um, so, you know, those three, General Motors, Ford, and Volkswagen, you know, between now and 2025, because everybody everybody reports their numbers a little differently, those three are going to spend about $100 billion on vehicle electrification and their own battery uh, uh, capacity. So they are going all in, right? Um, and this, and again, this is separate from a Joe Biden press conference in Ohio or anything like that. So you're going to see more electric vehicles from Ford. I think the most important launch maybe in the history of all electric vehicles outside of maybe Tesla Model 3 is Ford's F-150 Rivian that arrives uh, next year. <laughs> Listen to what I just said, Ford F-150 Rivian. Ford F-150 Lightning. The F yeah, I, I was wondering where you were going with that. No, see, it's Freudian. So the F-150 is best-selling uh, vehicle in America for 40 years. They're going to have an electrified version of that on sale early in 2022. If that sells well, it's sort of like, yeah, I mean, this is it. Electric vehicles are slowly taking over. Um, and so then. What do you, how we, do you think the, the truck will do? I think it's, well, first of all, I think it's going to do great. Uh, uh, I've driven in one. I've driven the Rivian and the Ford truck. Um, they're, they're super impressive vehicles. Like the Ford, you know, what, what can you do with the Ford one? The Ford one is literally like, because battery, it's funny, right? Aside from having uh, 500 horsepower, which is, again, in a truck, uh, that is more horsepower than I've ever owned, um, the thing is literally like a rolling workstation. You know, Ford to be, you know, because they wanted to be fun, but also, you know, they, they, they were running a cement mixer, uh, industrial lights, a saw, and I can't even remember what else. They were all running off the outlets. But the bottom line is you think there's going to be a lot of demand for it. Yeah, pre-orders for the for the for the Ford truck are about 160,000. Now, there's no guarantee that that all converts into orders, but one of the things that Ford has done because they got all these orders is they basically tried to double the expected production for the truck and other EVs um, because demand has been so strong. So I think it'll do fine. The reviews, you know, everybody should go to Car and Driver and, and whatnot and read the reviews. The reviews are excellent. People mm -hmm. like them. They're good vehicles. Well, car and driver and Al Root, everybody likes the car or the truck. Mm -hmm. So we have a couple of questions from listeners I wanted to get to, and then I'll circle back with one of my own. Mm -hmm. um, Jim asks, when will a battery with one charge last for 450 miles? When will that become a regular thing? Well, that's a good question. So first of all, you know, these battery packs, all of these batteries packs, you know, the, the size of an EV battery in its current form is about is a little bigger than a AA. Right. So there's like a thousand batteries in a battery pack. You can get like the Lucid Air, which, by the way, they're shipping now. And their their first version is one hundred sixty nine thousand. It's a beautiful car. So if you have one hundred sixty nine thousand, consider the Lucid. Um, it gets five hundred miles per charge. 
And you can do that one of two ways. You can you can stick a lot of batteries in the battery pack, or you can be more efficient. Lucid does both. Um, but I think one of the things you're thinking in that question is, you know, how fast and how far can I go with these things? The one thing people should remember, and again, this sounds wildly bullish from an EV perspective, but you know, the fastest charging and the newest charging technology, you know, it's sort of working on getting, you know, people 60 miles of range, 150 miles of range in five minutes, 15 minutes. So the EV charging technology is trying to get people to that closer level of like, you know, grabbing a cup of coffee and putting a full tank of gas in your car. It, it might not be the same. It might never be the same. But that range anxiety is slowly dipping as, as people get experience with the vehicles and the tech gets better. I think range anxiety is the issue here for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Lee asks... Al, as Barron's expert on Tesla and EVs generally, what do you think about the possibility that Apple actually makes a foray into the EV market or self-driving cars? Do you think it's hype or do you think it's possible? Uh, my official uh, response is I think it's dumb. And Lauren knows that. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you listen, don't mention your words, Al. <laughs> I hate, I, now it's one of these things where you can never disprove a negative, right? Well, how do you know they won't win? Uh, I, we've talked, we've, we've reported on it. We listen to analysts. We, we talk to fund managers. The best I've heard is sort of like, you know, you know, uh, Coke doesn't make, Coke doesn't sell beer. Um, you know, Tesla doesn't make phones. Apple doesn't make cars. Brands do not, uh, go into every segment ad infinitum just because. And I think a few things that people need to realize is, you know, Apple wants to have a technologically advanced car. You know, apparently their edge will be full self-driving, fully autonomous vehicle by about 2025. Um, if, if Apple was to do that, if Apple was to have a fully autonomous car ready for the market in 2025 that was affordable, they would be sitting on, you know, the, the most secret, incredible technology of all time. Like if they launch a car in 2025 that drives itself completely safely, it would it would be it would be the biggest technological surprise that I could probably uh, think to list. I mean, the entire industry is working on self-driving technology. We go over that um, in detail, but it just doesn't feel like they're going to have any edge, right? Like saving a miraculous uh, leapfrogging of everyone in, in a technology in secret. Uh, I do not see why I would ever be buying an Apple car, which they probably won't even manufacture. They'll have somebody else manufacture for them. So it's highly speculative at this point. Yeah, and they've been working on it since 2014. And one of the things, again, you, I'm a skeptic, but one of the things people should remember is every time they name a new executive to oversee it, you get a series of these stories. So whenever you read one of these Apple Car stories, look for the line of, you know, so-and-so just took over for so-and-so. You know, that, that also drives the news cycle because, you know, the first four executives had no luck. Right. So you're saying that that reporters have active imaginations when it comes to this. Oh, I've written about it three or four times. But Yourself. All right. So last question from me. I would like to ask you about General Electric, an iconic American industrial. You also cover industrials along with EVs. Recently announced mm -hmm. it was splitting into three companies, one focused on aviation, another on power generation, a third on healthcare. Handicap the three parts for us. Will they be worth more than the whole? And let's um, do it in a minute because we're running a little late. Uh, yes, they'll be worth the more guess. than the whole if you ask me. 
Um, you know, this is a fascinating topic, Lauren. I know you, you that we've, we've had some conversations about this, right? But it's, you know, to conglomerate or to deconglomerate, um, right? What should people be doing? Um, and not all of them have worked. So, you know, Dow DuPont merged, you know, shuffled other businesses and spun out. That one hasn't really performed for shareholders. I would point them to like United Technologies, which is now Raytheon Technologies, right? They, they uh, you know, uh, Raytheon and UTX merged and they became three companies, one doing elevators, one doing um, uh, aerospace and defense, and another doing air conditioning. You know, if you held Raytheon technology stock, you basically doubled the market since they announced uh, their plans. Um, so they can work. It really sort of depends. I think that, you know, this idea that uh, General Electric can be more successful as a smaller, more focused entity in terms of uh, one doing power generation, one doing uh, healthcare, and then the last doing aircraft engines. I think the strength of the aircraft engine business can become plain, right? They have very strong market share on narrow body commercial aerospace engines. These are the kinds of engines that, you know, people will recognize on Airbus A321s or, or uh, 737 Boeing Max jets. They are very strong aircraft engines. Um, and then I think the power generation business would probably be more surprisingly okay than people assume, right? They associate GM with coal and natural gas-based power generation. I think when that stands alone, uh, people realize that that business is not nearly as bad as they think it is. So I, I think it's I think it's a good plan. And if nothing else, I think that uh, CEO Larry Culp has a vision. He's clearly articulated the vision, and he's doing well executing against it. And I think he will ultimately be successful. It's a fascinating situation. Yes. So we had a a question from Neil going back to car manufacturers, going back to the. Um, traditional car manufacturers, do you think the big U.S. automakers will spin off their EV divisions or issue tracking stocks? We've written about that recently. So we've talked to the companies about this and, and you know, they hum and they haw, but I can tell you what they believe. They believe that they can't spin out their EV divisions because it's too complicated. You have plants serving other plants in a network. It doesn't make sense. Tracking stocks are a very fascinating idea. Uh, because, you know, if you look at John Malone and, and Liberty Media and, and the Braves, those are all sort of tracking stocks. So you own, you know, the financial performance of something that John Malone owns in a bigger entity. Those can work. Here's the thing, though, right? And and we wrote this. You know, it's it's that uh, old line from The Incredibles, the, the Pixar cartoon. If, if everybody's special, then nobody's special. If everybody tries to get these trillion-dollar valuations like a Tesla by doing tracking stocks, eventually – those sudsy, that sudsy situation becomes full-on bubble situation, right? So if you valued everybody's EV plans like a Rivian, you know, the, the global automotive market cap would be like $5 trillion. That would be like five times bigger than it was in 2019. It doesn't really, it's something, something doesn't work in that map. So you could try to do it. Um, but I, I don't know if, if the market would support it if like, you know, for GM, Volkswagen, and Daimler all said, oh, look, we have tracking stock. It might actually shock people into saying, well, something doesn't work here. Right. Interesting. So Kathy Wood wrote off Ford and GM. She did so in a conversation I had with her just last week. Mm -hmm. Hal asks, do you also write them off? And, and I'm going to answer for you and say no, but you might want to elaborate a little no, more. Not a bit. I think the people, no, not a bit. It's the funny thing, right? Tesla... So there are a few questions to answer. What is Tesla's long-term Is Tesla a long-term winner? 
Who knows? Let's say yes. What's their long-term market share? Is it 10%? Is it 20%? Let's say it's 20%. That gives 80% of the market for existing companies to, um, to get. Uh, so if you're the most aggressive and you're the most efficient, you can have a very happy distance fighting for 80% of that pie. Uh, there will be some winners and losers, right? You can't, you know, you know, 20 unavoidable, right. unavoidable, but I certainly would, wouldn't write them off. I'm on record as saying, you know, I like the ones who've been most aggressive. The funny thing about it is I think when you're watching something, and I, I think this is completely valid, you know, Jim Farley, the new CEO at Ford, he basically has gone like a bat out of somewhere, you know, talking about EVs and committing money and, and, and launching. He's gone very, very quickly. Like, all we can do is was watchers who aren't inside of you know how he runs his day can look at well he's going fast so i i prefer the aggressive uh fortune favors the bull uh, as they say so i wouldn't write him off i'm i'm very I, I i like to say and people i do like to say this to readers who think you know one way or the other about the existing industry or disruption i want all the american automakers to do fantastic i hope they all succeed i really do Certainly good for the economy, good for the country, and probably good for the industry. Yes. Yes. So we're going to leave it there today, Al. Thank you so much. This has been a very informative call. And thank you to our listeners for your wonderful questions. We wish everyone a terrific Thanksgiving. But before the holiday, please join us again tomorrow for a Barron's Live episode of Tech Trader. My colleague Eric Savitz will be speaking with Ryan Jacob. CEO and Portfolio Manager of the Jacob Internet Fund on what's ahead for internet stocks. Thanks again, Al, and thanks to our listeners. Stay well, everyone, and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.